you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 11, right in the middle of the scriptures. You might turn to Psalms if you open up to the middle. It's two books after that, Psalms, Proverbs, then Ecclesiastes, chapter 11. I'll be reading the first six verses. As we're landing the plane, this is um, today and two more weeks in the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm a little sad about it, honestly. I love this book so much, and I actually saved this uh, for our first official series as Ascension Church. Some of you know the story. We're, we were in New Valley downtown. Now we have uh, become Ascension Church, and I've loved going through this book. I know it's been a struggle for some of you, some of the harsh things in there, some of the hard things. And for many, I've, I've been hearing it's, the, it's life-giving to just name some of these really uh, hard things, the, the wisdom of Solomon. And um, three more weeks today and two more weeks. And um, really, to finish, Solomon finishes so strong. These are beautiful passages that we have remaining for us. You know, the first week when we started this, I uh, quoted Herman Melville, the author of Moby Dick, and he said that uh, this is the truest book ever written. And Thomas Wolfe, the, the great American novelist, he said, um, who I don't even know if was a Christian or not, he said, this is the, the most splendid piece of writing ever written. And certainly on display for us, these six verses this morning are so beautiful and so complex in a way that is so um, invitational to us this morning. So I encourage you to listen well as we read the first six verses of chapter 11. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if the tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know, the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. This is the word of the Lord. No, we're not supposed to mention the pandemic anymore, um, but we'll risk it one more time. Uh, I remember the first time it was real to me, just a, f a few years ago when COVID-19 was just breaking out. Nobody was wearing masks. Nothing was going on. We didn't know anything yet. And I went to the grocery store, and uh, that's when it became real because the shelves were bare, and I was not prepared for this. I'd heard, you know, something we probably should prepare a little bit. I read a little news article, so I stopped in just out of curiosity at a grocery store, and the shelves were bare, and people were panicking. And uh, I remember, I'll never forget this, I went to the grain section of, the, of this grocery store, the, the, you know, the, the little tall dispensers that have rice and oats and nuts and all the things that you can get in bulk. And, um, I was in that section and I, you know, I pulled off one of those little skinny bags that you, you can put an amount in. And uh, I was just gonna get you know, some rice and some oats and that kind of thing. And um, I, this lady pushed past me with a trash bag. <laughs> and several of us watched in amazement 
as she literally walked up to that rice dispenser, <laughs> put the trash bag, under full-size trash bag underneath, and emptied the entire thing into a trash bag. And then we, we, we were stunned. There were several of us just like, is this, is this happening before? You know, and she, she walks over and she puts it on her cart where she has other similar-sized bags. She was clearing the place out. And that's when it became real. It's like, okay, I understand now. That's, that's one way to be in a pandemic, right? That is what happens to many of us, and it's understandable. It's very, under, I mean, some of us were thinking it, right? Even if we didn't have the guts to do it. What do we do in times of uncertainty? You know, another way of saying this is what, what we do in uncertainty reveals what is most true about us. What do we do when we're uncertain? Our impulse when we are in an uncertain time, when we don't know the outcome of something, or we feel the pinch of like, what if, what if this is not good, is to hunker down and take care of ourselves. That's the impulse. It's an understandable impulse. Let's just make sure that number one is okay, and let's not risk anything. Let's not risk anything. I want to make sure that I'm okay. This can kind of settle down into our hearts and minds, even when things, even when there's not a pandemic going on. Anytime there's any kind of uncertainty in our lives, we have a, a tendency to build ourselves up or to support ourselves rather than to risk helping or risk sharing. For some of us, it's a resource thing. We say to ourselves, I need to make sure that I have enough for myself before I give anything or before I risk anything for others' sake. For others, it's more of a mental or decision-making thing. We think, I need to understand everything before I do anything. I need to fully understand how to do this project before I start doing the project. See, that's a, that's a different way of, of saying the same thing. I, just, I need to not risk until I'm sure. For others, it's more relational. I need to make sure that nobody can hurt me or that I won't feel lonely or that I won't be abandoned before I risk any kind of relationship with someone. The, the theme throughout this is that when, when I hold all the cards, when I'm sure, when I have what I need, the resources, the mental capacity, the abilities, when it all lines up, when I have all the cards, then I will bet then I will risk. But anyone who's played cards before knows that that's not the way that it works. It is a strategy to hold your cards until the very end, until you get something good, but it's usually a losing strategy because risk is built into the game. And so it's built into the game that if you're not bold, at least a little bit, you won't win. Is this the game that we are playing? Solomon says, yes. We have to be bold. We have to risk something in order to gain something. And this is true not just in economics and not just true mentally and relationally. It's true spiritually. And Solomon's point in this passage overall is to say, don't let uncertainty stop your good and godly endeavors. Don't let uncertainty stop your good and godly endeavors. If there's anything that Solomon has labored to tell us over and over and over again, is that life is uncertain. 
You don't know what's going to happen. You can't get into the mind of God. You don't know whether your work will prosper. You don't know how long you will live. You don't know so many things. It is uncertain. It will always be the case that your life is uncertain. And so what you would expect him to say is the wise thing to do in the midst of uncertainty would be cut your losses, hunker down, don't risk anything because because life is uncertain, you should, you should make sure that you're protected. But he says the exact opposite. Because life is uncertain, you should be bold with what God has given you. I want us to look at this passage with three headings that Solomon gives us. He says, first, these economic rules. Then he talks about spiritual realities. And then third, a practical response. Economic rules, spiritual realities... And a practical response. First, the economic rules. Brilliant. First few verses here. Amazing writing that is, shows a couple of different things at the same time. Let me read the first two verses for us. Cast your bread upon the water. That's a beautiful phrase, isn't it? Even if you don't know what it means yet. Like just cast your bread on the waters. You will find that after many days, give a portion to seven or to, even to eight. For you do not know what disaster may happen on earth. On the first level, Solomon writes in two different levels here. On the first level, Solomon is writing about an economic principle, an economic rules. To cast your bread upon the waters is most likely a metaphor for investing with his ships. This is what Solomon did. He had a trading strategy. He cast his bread, literally the wheat of Israel, onto the ships and sent it out to various places. He cast his resources across the sea. Now you may know that Solomon, who wrote this book, he, um, he led Israel in the most prosperous time of Israel's history. It was something called the United Monarchy. David, or Saul, David, and Solomon, that was the United Kingdom. Things were going really well in Israel. This is the high point, the Golden Age. The reason that Solomon was so blessed that he had so many riches was first and foremost because God gave them to him. We're told that Solomon asked for wisdom and God gave him both wisdom and riches. This is what he gave to his people during this time. And so from a divine level, this is true. There was a blessing on Solomon. This is why he prospered. From a human standpoint, there's two reasons why Solomon prospered and why the United Kingdom prospered during this time in Israel's history. First of all, because there was no war. And second of all, because of international trade. There was no war. Solomon had peace on all sides. David, the most bloody king in Israel's history, had secured peace for his son. And there was no more wars. And forget what you know about modern warfare. You know, when we, we're accustomed to thinking about you know, wartime economy being a boom economy, where there's, a, there's an overflow of, of resources and nations grow, this is not true in the ancient world. Wars were costly. That's why, they, that's why they looted and pillared all these places that they went to because they had to pay for these wars. It wasn't because they were abnormally cruel. It was because they needed to pay for the wars of conquest. And this is what would happen. They would lose often resources. But in Solomon's day, it was peace. But he also started international trade. With 1 Kings chapter 5, 
We read about Solomon's note to Hiram, king of Tyre. And Solomon sends him a message and he says, My father was too strained with war to build the house of God. But the Lord has given me rest on all sides. Get your servants to cut cedars of Lebanon, Cyprus, and I will pay you. And in exchange, Solomon sent oil and wheat. He cast his bread upon the waters and he prospered Israel. And Hiram, king of Tyre, also prospered during this time. So Solomon traded up north. Tyre and Sidon was north in Israel. It's like off the coast. You go north a ways and you're at Phoenicia. This is Tyre area. And so he had trading with them. But he also had trading across the Mediterranean. Tarshish. Some of you remember from the story of Jonah. Jonah fled from the presence of God to Tarshish. He went across the sea. It was a long way away. Solomon also had trading with Tarshish. He sent a fleet of ships. 1 Kings 10 tells us every three years. This is Solomon's investing horizon, time horizon. Three years. He would send ships of goods, and then every three years, he couldn't check the stock market every day on his phone, right? He just had to cast the bread on the waters, and it would return to him after many days. Three years, he would get a shipment of gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. I don't know what they did with the peacocks. Maybe they ate them. I'm not sure. But it took three years to get back his investment. He cast his bread on the waters so that every three years, he would get some peacocks back. This is what he did. He took the risk. In other words, this is the economic rule. He cast his bread on the waters and he trusted that, the, that it would come back to him after many days. Not only that, second economic rule, diversified his risk. He says, give a portion to seven or even to eight for you do not know what disaster may happen on earth. He diversified his risk. Why not put you know, wheat in seven or eight different ships? Why not send some of them on different days for piracy and weather problems? So he didn't put all of his eggs in one basket. Then he accepted the risk. Verse 3, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. This is, this is what happens. I don't control nature. I accept the fact that if a tree falls over here, if the clouds come, this is what happens and I have no control over it. But... I don't let that stop me from investing at all. Verse 4, he who observes the wind will not sow. He who regards the clouds will not reap. If you don't do anything, that's probably the greatest risk of all. Sure, it's risky to send ships out across the sea. Seven or eight of them even. You, you might lose one or two of them. But what if you don't invest at all? What if you just hold back? You're observing the wind. You're waiting for the right moment. Perhaps... Opportunity cost will destroy you. You're guaranteed a loss by not doing anything. These are the economic rules on the surface level of this reading. This is Solomon is saying. This is what he did. This is how he prospered. It's wisdom to do these things, to follow these rules, to take risk, to diversify your risk, to make, watch out for opportunity cost. But on top of all this, there are spiritual realities that he is telling us about. He's telling us, first of all, to take bold spiritual risk. Even though the language is from economics and trading, it's also vague and refers to ideas of the kingdom. Bread, portion, sowing and reaping. These are all 
images that are used of God's work in the world, not just of the economy. This is the language of every spiritual endeavor. He's saying you must take risks for godly goals. What about in your relationships? This is true. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. This is hard for us when we think about taking a risk with people. We say things like, I'm not really going to spend time with them because I'm probably going to be moving in a couple of years. Or probably we'll leave this neighborhood and then we won't hang out anymore, so I better just not get to know them. Or how about, I don't want to meet with them because if I do, then they'll expect to meet every week. And if I meet every week, then that's going to be too much for me. And so we, we don't even take the risk of meeting with them once. What about the risk of using your gifts, the fear of embarrassment, or that you might not be as good as you think you are at something, you hide it under a bushel, right? You don't share what God has given you because there's a fear of embarrassment. You don't take the risk. What about the risk to help someone? Maybe a physical risk, maybe a side of a road that's in a bad part of town and you, you just don't wanna, you don't wanna risk anything so you don't pull over. What about risking your own comfort? I don't want to commit to something. What if, what if I do commit to that and I don't know the answers? What if they ask me something I can't answer? What if what I'm committing to takes a lot more time than I'm thinking? We think, protect, protect, protect. Let me ask you a challenging question. Where in your life, as a citizen of God's kingdom, are you so scared of losing something that you will never risk venturing anything? Where are you so scared of losing something that you won't venture anything? Solomon calls us to bold spiritual risk. He also calls us to bold spiritual generosity. This is the second reading of this passage. He intentionally cloaks this in economic language, but also beneath this, there is a reading on Solomon talking about giving away what he has. He's underscoring generosity. Casting bread on the water is a metaphor then for doing something seemingly wasteful. And cast bread on the water, what good does that do? He says it'll come back to you after many days. What does he mean? He further explains. The second couplet explains the first. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what disaster may happen on the earth. So Solomon's saying in this reading, not talking about diversification so much as he's talking about generosity. You don't know what will happen on the earth. So cast your bread on the water, be generous, give away your bread, your money, your possessions, your time, your talent, your treasure, give it away. You have no idea of how it might come back to you. There's a trust there to give it to seven or even to eight for you do not know what disaster may happen on the earth. Meaning, those who give away during times of plenty are more likely to receive in times of uncertainty. Be generous. The bread that you throw out that seems like it's pointless will come back to you. There's a faith element there, that generosity where you're trusting that even though this seems wasteful, it actually comes back. And so Solomon here is warning us to be very careful of this impulse that exists in all of us, which says this, I will be generous in the future. Because he says, 
You don't know what disaster will strike. Well, if I don't know, if I don't know, then that means I should save. I should keep. If I don't know, then how can I share? And he says, exactly. That's what faith is. This is the exact opposite of our impulse. If God has given you something to share, this bread, you cast it out and expect him to bring you back what you need. Bold, spiritual generosity, time, talent, and treasure. We are so scared to venture anything sometimes, and we turn that safety into a virtue. God wouldn't want me to be unsafe. Are you sure? Solomon's pretty bold here. What about Jesus? Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. The Apostle Paul. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Parable of the talents. Jesus tells the story of those who are given money to people invest it with varying levels of investment. One buries it in the field. The one who plays it safe is not commended. Of course, we have to balance with what the scriptures say about saving. The wisdom of Proverbs tells us that it is wise to set aside money, to set aside things for a rainy day for the future. There is a wisdom in that. But do you see Solomon's point how quickly we turn a few verses into a fortress of safety for ourselves and don't risk anything relationally, spiritually, physically, economically. Bold spiritual generosity with our time, our talent, and our treasure. Third, Solomon says here that we should have bold spiritual trust. How is it? we might ask, that we can be so borderline reckless. Where does that come from? Are we just supposed to be crazy? Are we just supposed to zig when everybody else zags and just be different because we're different? No. Solomon is giving us wisdom, but he's telling us this, this boldness comes from a trust in God. Look at verse 5. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. Absolute trust in God. In the uncertainty, when you don't know, then you recognize that God is doing things in the world that you have no control over and you trust in him. Wise words from a wise Solomon that's picked up by someone even wiser than Solomon, someone even greater than Solomon. Where are these phrases come up again in Scripture? The spirit hovering over the birth of a woman, the God doing the seemingly impossible, the spirit of God comes to the bones of the womb. The spirit is the same word there as wind. These are the words that Jesus is referencing when he talks to Nicodemus, a great teacher in Israel, who he says, you, Nicodemus, must be born again. You don't know what the Spirit of God is doing. The Spirit 
blows where it wishes. The wind comes and blows where it wishes, he says to Nicodemus. God is working in this world. And even though you are a great teacher in Israel, you do not yet understand what must happen. You must become like a child. You must risk everything, even your, the safety and security of your own knowledge and your own status in Israel to become the child again. To babble, to be weak, and it's going to feel like going backwards, and it's going to feel vulnerable. But this bold spiritual trust must come for you to have any part in me. I love Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. It's, it's a story in one verse. Here it is. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found, covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and buys that field. Amazing short story. Man finds a treasure in a field. He goes and he covers it up. He sells everything. And then he goes and buys that field. I want you to imagine for a moment what was going through his head when he sold everything. Am I crazy? Is this too risky? This is too bold. Like, I'm doing fine. This is okay. Maybe I should forget about this. But he sells everything. He took, in other words, the greatest risk of his life, and he secured the greatest reward. He bought the field that made him richer than what he had before. And so Jesus says, this is the kingdom of God. You must risk everything in order to find everything. You must go all in on Jesus Christ. He is the treasure in the field. He is the way, the truth, and the life. You have to believe in him as that truth. And when you trust in that, then you reap the greatest reward, but it doesn't come without a risk. You receive the reward of Christ, which is life, abundant life now, and eternal life with him. And every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, every security that you could need. Do you see? That's why we can risk. Security enables risk, doesn't it? Security enables risk. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you can afford to be bold because you have everything. You are playing with house money. You have been given everything in Christ Jesus and now you can give it away or you can sacrifice your time or you can be bold in some other kind of spiritual endeavor because what can be taken away from you? You have everything. If you are in Christ, you have that security. You can be bold. You can risk. Solomon ends very practically with verse 6, and we'll end here as well. He gives the practical response. In the morning, sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. This is what you do. You work in the morning and in the evening, you withhold not your hand. You keep working, you keep loving, you keep giving, and you let God do the prospering. So his main point in summary is this. Life is full of things you don't know. 
So demonstrate your trust in God by being boldly faithful and boldly generous with whatever you have been given. You can't take out the uncertainty. You can't. I want to leave us with this question. What am I withholding? And why am I withholding it? Where's my hand withholding? This could go in lots of different directions. What, why am I not yet generous? Why, why do I resist meeting with that person? Why do I not want anything to get on my schedule? Why, do I, why have I not restored that relationship? Why am I not using my gifts? There are good and godly endeavors that God has put before you. In fact, the scripture says he's planned in advance for you to do. And in our, our pursuit of security and safety, we sometimes turn off that desire to do those things and think this is the better place to be. And there are certainly times when inaction is called for and saving and all of the things. But I'm asking us a different question today. Where are we withholding our hands? Is it because of uncertainty? Solomon has labored to tell us that is literally going to always be true. You do not know what God is going to do in the world and you don't know what the market is going to do and you don't know what, what will happen to this church or in your relationships. You don't know any of those things. But the Christian says, I'm going to flip it on its head. I already have the treasure in the field. It's already been secured. I have everything that I need and I, I'm going to respond to God's calling in my life to be bold. Let's pray.